I often get asked by listeners how they can support the show, and now I have a way that you can. So you can support the show through the ACAST supporter feature. Just go to supporter.acast.com slash yogaland. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. I so appreciate any contribution you want to make and know that the funds go toward paying my producer and other people who help me create this show. That's supporter.acast.com slash yogaland. Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is Yogaland. Hi there, Jason. Hi there, Andrea. How are you? I'm good. I'm getting ready to go to London at this moment of filming. <laughs> I know. Or recording. Yes, yes. Yeah. You'll go first. You are going to be teaching your hybrid program and some sold out workshops. Yes. I said sold out so that no one, just because wanted to set that expectation. Yes. Um, and then Sophia and I will be joining you for the not sold out and free live Yoga Land event. Yes. So if you would like to um, come see Yoga Land live, you can go to. I don't know. Gosh. Just go to mission. Go. No, no, no. You know what? Go to the show notes page of okay. this episode. Yeah, I'll, that makes I'll link sense. to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what else is coming up for you? So when I get back from London, so on the 22nd of July, we have our first day, our first in like, com- uh, what do we even call it? The, the calls. The- yeah. Our first call. Yeah. We have our first call for module two. Um, and it's a really good course. I'm super excited. It's, you know, the beginning of these trainings are always for me professionally, the most fulfilling and exciting things that I do. Um, if anyone's interested, there is space available. There's six weeks of calls, Zoom sessions, um, and there is a ton of recorded content and you can do it for inspiration in and of itself. And the, and the topic for this one is spine, spine and core. core. Yeah. yeah. So you can do it in and of itself, or you can do it as part of your 300 hour teacher training program. Um, it's the second module of the course, but these courses are built in such a way that you can really start with any module. So yeah, if you're interested again, check out the show notes page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, jasonyoga.com slash 300 for that one. I have that that URL memorized, but That's I don't cool. have the the live in London URL memorized. Um, yeah, I think just to give a little more context for your modules online, I think you you recently changed the structure slightly and I just think it's really genius. So I wanted to, to mention it, which is instead of two weeks of calls every day and like jamming your 100 hour module into two weeks, you have spread the calls over six weeks and you do a great job of giving people like clarity around how to move through the course together, how to move through the, the recorded lectures together so that when they come to the calls, everyone's on the same page. You know, you, it just, I think it's created more of a cohesive experience. I think so. Yeah, and for sure. yeah. And more time to process and absorb the information. Yeah. And then also if, if you don't move th- through things exactly on time, you still have totally access okay. to the course content yeah, for a year. For a year. And, and, you know, we, I think we strike this balance of using the internet in part for what it's good for, which is a modern convenience. So if you want a little bit more time to work through the content, you have an entire year. But we also have a structured process for those people that want to work through it on a specific six-week schedule together. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really open to, to multiple ways of learning. Right. Yeah. Okay. So today... 
is going to be a focus on, so we're on the 301st episode. If you did not listen to episode 300, um, I'll give you a little context. You know, on that episode, it was a bit of a celebration. I did a solo cast where I talked about when and what it was like when I started the podcast, what the, the aim was and where we're going, how the landscape has changed. For this episode, I wanted to kind of continue on that topic and just share eight things that I've learned over the past eight years of doing the podcast. And when I look at this list of eight things, you know, mostly this conversation today is about what you've learned doing the podcast. Mm -hmm. But as I look at this from the perspective of being a yoga teacher, almost all of these, about five or six out of eight, have direct correlations to things that I've learned over the course of being a yoga teacher. So I think this is both interesting about creating content and being a podcaster and getting your insights. But also I, I think there's so many of these that those of us that are yoga teachers, we can also identify with. And, That's good. They apply, to. they apply to yoga teaching yeah, as well. Right. For sure. So yes, the, I created this list in the context of creating the podcasts and content, but I'm glad to hear that they, they apply to yoga teachers too. Andrea, the first one is on getting big name guests. Yes. Now, now, are you saying big name guests that you are not married to? <laughs> it was so hard to get you on the show. I know. And now I can never get you off. I'm a big name in a very, very small little world. Small pool. Yeah. Um, no, I get this question a lot. When I, when I used to meet with your um, advanced trainees live, I would always get this question, like, how, do I, how, do, how did you get big people on? And, um, I, you know, what you will always hear in courses and conventions and things like this is, um, just ask, all you have to do is just ask. And it's true, right? I mean, you do have to kind of identify who your pie in the sky people are. You can kind of put them in tears and you do have to reach out, have a lot of clarity around, what you're going to say, have it be a concise elevator pitch for people to be on your podcast, mention other guests who've been on your podcast, mention your downloads or any other um, I, item from your CV that that will give people an idea of who you are and what you've accomplished. But what people will not tell you is that nine times out of 10, you won't get a response. Most people who are of a certain level either don't check their own email or don't have time to respond to every single inquiry that comes into their inbox or don't have time to research you and get the context and make sure that they're going to get a good interview with you. So if you don't get a response, don't be discouraged. The best thing to do is what you do in any situation in life, which is look at your network and see if you know someone who knows them and reach out to that person as well. And I'll give you the two examples from my podcasting. Um, the two, I think I've had other, I've had two New York Times bestselling authors on who are not in the yoga space, Susan Cain and Gretchen Rubin. These are perfect examples. I love these women. I respect them. I've read all of their work. Um, but if I had reached out to them randomly, they wouldn't know who I was. And it would take time out of their day to figure out if I'm worth their time, quite frankly. 
So with Susan Kane, I have a really close friend from college who um, edited Susan, actually edited her like infamous book that I just adore. The book's called Quiet. Yeah, the book's called Quiet, um, The Power of Introverts in a World That Won't Stop Talking. And so I, I asked my friend Molly if it was okay if I, you know, reached out to Susan and um, mentioned her. And I actually think Molly offered to email her directly and introduced us. That was the entree that I needed to for Susan to say us to being on the show. Um, and then with Gretchen Rubin, I had a colleague, a friend, a friend of a friend who, um, I would also call a colleague sort of loosely in that she was in book editing who, uh, edited Gretchen. And I only figured that out because I went onto my LinkedIn and I went to see if I had any links in common with Gretchen. And I did, I had Susan. And so I reached out to Susan and she said, sure, just drop my name in the email and she'll go back to you. She's really good at getting back. And that's the other thing is that if you, if you link up with someone who knows the person, you'll get a sense of like, oh yes, Gretchen checks her own email. She'll email you right back. Or Jason is really terrible with email. He will, he will not answer you for a month. Hey, hey, you know, Anyway, I'm, t- I'm teasing no, my husband. No, no reason to bring me into this. Well, it's... No, I know it's true. It's actually a reasonable thing to know whether or not someone responds in a certain yeah. medium. I am the one that answers my email, and that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't respond while you're in the middle of big projects, and that's yeah. okay. Some yeah. people are like that. Yeah. So that's, that's the sort of secret there, is if you want certain guests, you need to kind of work work your network a little bit for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Now you have sustained this podcast, this creative project for a long, long time. So what have you learned about maintaining and sustaining a creative project over these years? Mm-hmm. So there's, I'm going to do two of the points together here. So the first thing, and I would say this in every group I've ever talked to or taught or coached is that you just have to keep the passion going. So um, I think there's two reasons for this. The first is that it's the only way to continue a creative project and not give up and just get bored. And the second is that the audience knows, right? So if you lose interest and passion and fire in your topics or your guests, the audience will be able to tell. And it the readership or the listenership will fall off. I, I just, I just truly believe that I've seen that in so many situations and so many publications. Um, so that's not to say that you won't lose interest from time to time, but if you do, you have to kind of adjust and change course and figure out what is interesting to you again and go there. The second thing I would say is, and I didn't anticipate this when I started the podcast, but having a creative partner is incredibly helpful. Oh, no. Who's that? (laughs) I love that we're just really always looking to go back to you, but it's true. I didn't know before I started the podcast that you and I would have as many conversations as we've had. And there are just certain points in the podcast where if I did not have you to get energy from, to get topic ideas from, to have fun with in conversations and to be able to have this like more relaxed conversation than prepping for every interview and the stress that that brings, I don't think I would still be able 
to do this. So having, if you can start with a partner, even if you don't do every single episode together, I noticed that, um, Bradshaw wish and Gianna mm-hmm. have a podcast together now. And I think that's brilliant. I actually yeah. just downloaded it. Yeah. You guys, I'm going to listen to the first one. Um, I think it's really, really brilliant to start it with a partner, a creative partner, someone who you are very aligned with and who you feel comfortable with. And you can do some episodes together, some episodes separately, but it it's just helpful in the long term. The next one, and I, I kind of want to give like a little quick yoga teacher's commentary on what you just said, but I want to I want to bundle it into the next. Because the next point you have, which is having a thick skin. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've already kind of talked about that as part of being passionate. Right. But when you say having a thick skin, what do you what do you mean? Well, um, I think any creative person has to be um, comfortable with knowing that not everyone is going to love what you love all the time. Yes. So like I, and I can pick them out of, I can still remember episodes that I've done that I'm thinking like, this one was just so good. This guest was my favorite guest. We had the deepest conversation. There's so many quotes, so many things that I take away. And those episodes guaranteed are never the highest listens. And, you know, back when I remember talking to Mati Azrati, um, the yoga teacher who started Yoga Works with her, with her partner, um, telling me similar things about yoga, like her, her sort of pet teachers, the, the ones that she loved the most were never the ones who brought in the most students. Um, and you know, she said to me, it's just a balance. Like you just have to balance, um, the things that help sustain the project and the business, um, with the things that you really love and you have to have a thick skin that just because not everybody loves your creative episode, it doesn't mean it was a bad episode. Um, and it doesn't mean it didn't touch people or reach people. It still did. It just might not reach the masses that you're, you were kind of hoping for. This happens all the time as a yoga teacher. We, we teach a class. It, both things happen. We teach a class and on the inside we're thinking, nailing it, best yoga class ever. And it's like the first class that afterwards no one comes up and says, thanks, you know, and you're like, whoa, I, I thought I was really connecting, Mm -hmm. but the opposite thing also happens, which is we'll be teaching classes and feel kind of disconnected or like, oh my God, this is, Mm -hmm. this is a crime. This yoga class is a crime against the tradition. And people will be like, oh my God, that was the best class ever. Yeah. I remember this, this story Vinny Marino told me where he's like, he said, he said one day he's like, oh my God, this person came up to me after class and said, that was the best class ever. And he said, I looked at her and said, I was, it was terrible. Oh my God, what did you actually like about it? And you know, he has, he has the personality to pull that off. But I think that this is, this is really common. And so both as a yoga teacher, but also as a podcaster, I think the point that you're really settling into is everyone has slightly different preferences. And not everyone's preferences are the exact same as your preferences. And without a doubt, you will go through phases where you feel uninspired, where you feel plateaued, but you keep doing the work because it's going to connect to some people 
And some people will resonate really well with content that you provide. And other times people are going to skip that episode. I think about all the podcasts I listen to. I don't listen to every episode exactly. of any podcast. Mm-hmm. And so as a, as a teacher, like you're not going to hit a home run in every class for everyone. And same thing as a podcaster, like not everyone is going to be equally interested in all of the topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say this one might, this little nuance might not apply to yoga teaching. I don't know. You can tell me, but I would say like as a creative person, again, if you're trying to sustain a creative project long-term, sometimes you just have a creative scratch to itch. So sometimes I might write, I might like, I'll talk about writing too. It's the same thing in writing. I just, there's just something that has to get out. I have to process it or I have to work through it or I have to share it. And it just, it just has to get out. And Usually if something has to get out, it tends to be for anybody, like a really good piece of work. And so you'll kind of put it out into the world feeling confident. And then when it's like, that's okay. It had to get out. Yeah. So it's still important to do those pieces that might not be the most popular if that's going to feed your process and being able to keep doing it. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of how to, that's kind of how to contextualize it as well. So the next few points, I think there are four more, um, are much more focused on the the content planning side. So these are the ones that I think I really resonated with as a teacher. Okay, and I, you know, because you were my editor for so long that I think this is I I may have learned these things as a yoga teacher independent of you. But certainly my time working with you at Yoga Journal back in the day helped me think about these upcoming points as an instructor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, even if I didn't know in the in the previous in episode 300, I say, you know, it's really hard for me to pinpoint my overall aim of the podcast other when I started it other than I wanted it to keep all of us practicing. But I did always know my scope and So I think it's really important to know your editorial or your teaching scope. So sometimes the easiest way to do that is to rule out what you don't want to do. So for example, like I know me, I don't cover quote unquote, the yoga industrial complex. I don't cover conspiracies. I don't cover scandals. Other people do this really, really well. And it's just not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my personality. It's not how I want to spend my creative time. And I don't have the staff. Like I know enough to know that that I can't do those things really well. So those are like, boom, gone. I go to, when I, when I used to teach with you and for you, people would come up to me all the time with ideas that were like scandals within the community. Or there's, it's like, I don't do that. That's not what I do. Um, so that's easy for me to just know. I don't do that. Um, but... I do, you know, over time, I was able to um, get more clarity around the things that I do focus on. So, you know, I focus on um, the nitty gritty of the practice. I focus on the emotional and the mental components and benefits of yoga. I focus on the science of meditation. I focus on community and I focus on inspiration. 
So really, really knowing just for yourself, even if you don't put it out there in an explicit way for the audience, but knowing for yourself what your scope is, is going to help you plan and execute efficiently. It's huge. You know, when you say things you don't do, right, when you were talking about scope and you said part of knowing your scope is knowing what's outside of your scope, and two things came up for me immediately, which is I don't play music and I don't chant. It's not that I have an aversion to those things or I don't appreciate those things. Um, it's that those are just not things that I resonate with as a student or teacher. Yeah. And I think it's, I think, I think the only comment I want to make on this is what a relief it is when you just identify within yourself that there are things that I'm really passionate about and there are things that I'm not. And I'm going to let the things I'm not passionate about fall off the table. Someone else can do those things. When I think about how unfathomably complex and vast the yoga tradition is, I know that I'm going to leave a lot of things off the table. In this lifetime, I cannot teach everything there is to know about yoga. So I'm already going to be doing work that is interpretive and to some degree self-selected and subjective. So I might as well stick within the framework of things that I feel really passionate about. Mm -hmm. I think the final thing is the things that I feel passionate about as a yoga teacher, teaching technique, communicating with students about the reality of being a yoga teacher, sequencing, some of these other things, these are the things that I continue to refine, I continue to work with, I continue to grow, and I continue to be better at teaching these things because I'm a passionate student of those things. So if there's something that is outside of my, my, my more specifically defined interests, I don't really want to pull that into my classes because it's probably not something I'm going to continue to develop over time because I don't have the interest in continuing to develop those those elements. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So along the same lines is having an editorial focus for each interview. So another way to think about this is not just having a, an editorial scope for the podcast or your, let's say your Instagram feed, but having a focus and a scope for each particular interview slash piece of content that you create. So, you know, and different podcasters, take different approaches. Like there are plenty of longer form podcasts where a host might decide on a guest simply because they're fascinated by them, right? Like they might say, oh my God, I'm dying to speak to Renee, Brene Brown. And there's just so much we could talk about. So we're just going to see where it goes and we're going to turn on the, the recorder for two hours and whatever we focus on with Brene, we're going to get amazing stuff. It's just not me <laughs> again. So, so, and I also just, I, I, you know, I come more from like the place of service journalism, right? Where every piece of content you're creating is supposed to provide a service in some way. It's supposed to, to serve the reader. And so I always think of my topics and then try to find the right guests, or I may have a guest and then I try to, with their help or just through my own researching them, I try to write, find the right, I try to draw the right topic out of them. We establish this before we turn on, you know, before we start going, you know, 
whether that's a conversation or a few emails and yeah, I, I, you know, there's always kind of a beginning, middle and an end of what I'm trying to get across in any particular episode. This one to me is straightforward yoga sequencing, right? It's, I really feel this every class we're trying to teach something that might be a technical aspect of a pose that might be a region of the body that might be a philosophical interpretation or theme. And that doesn't mean that we can't have loose, open conversation that's organic and goes in different directions, but it has to have a centerpiece. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's more difficult. I, I think in a lot of ways, you have to have m- more extroverted skills to have a good, super loose class or a super la- loose podcast that... Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point. You know what I mean? As like, an introvert, the, an open the thought of an open-ending conversation is it's ex- draining, terrifying, c- potentially confusing for me in the moment. Yes. Yeah, like if I know, okay, I'm doing a little bit of everything like I do in every class, but I'm going to work a couple variations of camel pose. I'm going to focus a little bit more on strengthening the inner border of the scapula and opening the front of the shoulders and chest. If I have those couple of points to bring myself back to, then I can I can have fun. I can be loose because I have an anchor. I have something to come back to. I have something to tether me, right? It's kind of like having a role in a group instead of just being completely free-formed and mingling. Like if I had to like just mingle for 90 minutes without an anchor, that's not a good place. But if I have a little role or a couple of connections in there that I can come back to, it's a much easier uh, environment for me to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Now I'm going to lead into this next one because I, I want to say something um, before you say the following, which is as your spouse, I want everyone to know she reads the books, <laughs> you guys. She reads the books. Mm-hmm. Like from beginning pretty much to end. I do. She reads. That's why I don't always have everyone with their book on because I don't, if I haven't had time to prioritize your book in a certain time period, I. So, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you actually state the point. But the other thing along the line of this is I think neither of us are comfortable at this place in our life or position in our career with just full-blown winging it. And we want, look, we want freedom and some spontaneity and so forth. Um, But you read the book. Tell us this next point. Yeah, the next point is to know your guests the best you possibly can ahead of time, ahead of speaking to them. Um, And the reason for this, I mean, there are many reasons. One is let's not waste your audience's time right? By faffing around and trying to find the point in this person. Um, Let's not waste this person's time. And also the way to draw people out of themselves is for them to feel comfortable with you. And they're going to feel comfortable with you when you start talking. If they get the impression that you know them, 
you know uh, how long they worked at this place before they started to do that. That, you know, you know that, um, you know the story of the first time they taught a class that they tell in every podcast they've ever been on. You know about their book. You know what inspired their work. Like, this is how you connect with your guests is by knowing them. Yes. And making them comfortable. And also, this is a work setting. Like, let's be real. This is work. Yeah. So be respectful and, um, you know, help respect their work by knowing them so that you can help them highlight their own work. Yeah. That's, that's part of what you're trying to do here. The, follow, the final point that you have right. is also, it's very related and it is spot on with a corollary of teaching yoga that I'll, I'll refer to. So final point. Big point. Final okay. thing you've really taken in in this uh, eight years of being the world's greatest yoga podcaster. <laughs> I love how um, how you're just not prone to hyperbole ever. I am prone to hyperbole, <laughs> but I got to tell you, I don't disagree with that statement. Oh, you're so sweet. I know. Oh, that's why we're still married. Um, he knows how to how and when to lay it on, folks. So, yeah, so the last point is that all of this preparation and all of the homework you do is what is going to allow you to really listen to your guests. So I used to do all the preparation and write out every question with sub-questions and sub-corollaries and everything, and then I would stress out and be trying to juggle looking at my 100-bulleted-point list while listening to the person. It took me a while to learn to prepare the list, get everything kind of in my head so that I could then let go a little bit and and enjoy the conversation and and allow it to flow a little bit more. And then if it flowed too much, I could bring it back to my bulleted bulleted list. But, you know, the point is really to to be an active listener and really to actually provide practice as much motivational interviewing as you can, right? So that you're really listening, you're pausing, you're allowing them to develop their thoughts, you're reflecting back to them what they just said, you're validating what they just said, and you can do this because you hired them to be on, well, not hired, you chose them to be on your podcast because you already know that you agree with their scope, right? That's why I'm, this is my particular kind of interviewing and podcast, this works. So you're reflecting back to them, you're validating them, and then you can both choose where to go in the interview from there. The first advice Rodney ever gave me, uh, Rodney Yee, and I've probably brought this up on the podcast at some point, but he, he said, you're going to be a really good yoga teacher when you learn how to teach from your heels instead of your toes. And what I always took from that was the ability to sit back listen to what I'm seeing in the room and be responsive. At that point, Rodney knew that I was very planned, that I was methodical, that I was organized and that I was technical, but that I was also probably overly planned and under responsive to the needs in the room. And I think that as I have matured over the years, now I have the same level of planning that I've always had and the same, I think, 
methodical, go into class with a set of intentions. But now with time and experience, I'm able to go into a room with a plan, but continually make subtle adjustments based on having an organic relationship to what's happening in the room. Right. But I feel if I'm totally unplanned, then I'm scrambling and I'm trying to figure out the rules of the game the whole time. I'm stressing out. I'm thinking more about what's next. How am I going to do? Is this good? Is it too fast? Is it too slow? Then I don't have the confidence. But if I go in knowing, Hey, I want to teach these three things. I want to have this tone. I want this outcome. Then I can, then in a way, I don't want to be flippant, but I can kind of play the game, right? Like I know the rules of the game and I'm going to, just try to enjoy it by interacting with my students. Mm-hmm. So the more prepared I am, the more now I can focus, relax, and just connect to the students that are in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that that's, that's one of the things that I'm hearing you say when you are more prepared. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a perfect parallel. And I'm glad... I'm glad that there are so many parallels in these points. And I just want to go back one more moment before we wrap up and say, I want to go back to my point number one, which is the getting big name guests, um, because I meant to to add this on there. And I, I just want to get it out there, which is to say, um, I stopped trying to get quote unquote big name guests. So I that's part of why I also gave you the, the behind the scenes on that point, right? Because at a certain point, you have to decide what is worth your time. Like, is it worth your time to scour through your list of connections and all your different places and to be trying to get these people or not? I loved the the two women that I mentioned who I had on the show, and I hope to maybe have them on again at some point. But I also, there are plenty of other people who I've tried to have on who either never responded to me or, or said no. And as disappointing as that was, it really, it just, after a certain amount of time, you realize it doesn't reflect on the quality of your guests Correct. to quote unquote, have a big name. You just want to find guests who you think you're going to connect with, who have some expertise and clarity and ability to communicate that expertise with clarity. So that, yes. that's that's the last point I wanted to make. The bigger the guest, the more, the less they're going to be highly involved in publicizing your show anyways. That's true. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and I, th- I think the final thing, I, I will make this parallel to teaching. It doesn't matter in yoga how big a class is or whether or not you get invited to a higher profile workshop or conference or not. It's about your consistency over time. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so really, to me, what I see in podcasts, uh, both this one and others that I admire, it's the quality of the interaction over time, not just kind of a spike in profile from here, here to there. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks, Jason. My pleasure. Thanks for um, focusing on me yet again in this, in this episode. You got it. <laughs> okay, everyone. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 301. 
Thank you as always for listening and until next week, enjoy your practice.